0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Rachel Maddow, Ring of Fire, Radio Nation, The Young Turks, and a selection from NPR.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, wear sunscreen. effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum.
2: Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice received an honorary degree from Boston College and gave the commencement address yesterday. The many demonstrators against Condoleezza Rice were quiet, but notable. Dozens of students and faculty members turned their backs and waved signs in protest. As we reported yesterday, one professor at Boston College actually resigned his post in protest of her being asked to come speak at the university, at the college. Some students wore armbands and stickers on their graduation gowns that read, not in my name, and at one point a plane flew over the ceremony dragging a sign that said your war brings dishonor now speaking of graduation protests uh, our next guest definitely wins the gumption award here on the Rachel Meadow show for this week Jean Sarah Rowe is the new school student who stood up to address the graduating class at Madison Square Garden this past Friday she took on John McCain who had been invited to be the commencement speaker by Bob Carey who's the president of the new school Uh, Jean Rowe thanks for being here Thank you. Um, What did you say, basically? What did you, um, I know that you you threw out your original plan for what you were going to say, and you decided to address John McCain directly instead. What was the point of your remarks?
3: Well, um, I discovered the night before I delivered the speech that John McCain, well, I had known for a few days at that point that John McCain was going to be giving the same speech at our school that he had given at Liberty University, Jerry Falwell's school, and also at Columbia University a few days earlier. And uh, so I had this idea that I should just look it up and see what he was about to say. And uh, I read his speech a couple times and, and there were a lot of things in it that I took issue with, um, mm-hmm. namely that he was using it as a platform speech for his views, especially about the Iraq War, but also that he spent a great deal of time talking about um, the arrogance of youth and mm-hmm. closed-minded opinionatedness that Young people often have. And I saw that especially as a direct attack on students who would undoubtedly be protesting the uh, senators speech there, um, but wouldn't have a forum to really protest in a um, in any kind of coherent way. They'd probably mm-hmm. be yelling from their seats. It would be clear that they were. But but they wouldn't have um the ability to put very specific words to their to grievances. him, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I realized I would be speaking right before the senator and that I could take his speech point by point and kind of um, bring my views to the table and the views that I thought represented the majority of the student body and the faculty at the New School. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. I spoke about um, my anti-war stance. I spoke about how youth opinions have value and i also spoke a little bit to this idea of fear that he talked about that we have a common enemy to fear and so americans need to stick together and certainly we need to be able to argue as as in in a respectful way among one another about these issues but um it, 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 i think fear is the driving force behind our military actions in iraq at this point that people have been driven into this into this this overwhelming and blinding fear of terrorism, of, of foreigners, this kind of thing. And so I just wanted to speak a little bit of caution towards that
2: right when you seem uh not at all nervous right now i know that you're a performer you're a jazz singer
3: yes i am uh
2: and so you're comfortable with a microphone obviously comfortable in front of people looking at you while you're talking and performing <laughs> but it must have i mean um i i gave a controversial graduation speech when i was in high school wow uh which was yeah but it, it, john mccain wasn't there and so it was like it wasn't exactly taking on the same kind of dragons that you were taking on it must have just been personally tough yeah, it was very, very difficult. And even
3: just the, to come to the decision to make this very bold speech, which after I wrote it, I realized, I mean, I wrote it at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. the day before. Um, after I wrote it, I, I realized just how powerful it could be. I certainly did not expect this, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think I was, I was nervous and it took, a lot of steps along the way, a lot of people's um, input to really bring me to the place where I felt like okay. From yeah, your this family and
2: friends and family and friends, yeah. sure,
3: sure. And um, you know, and I and I came to this place where yeah, I realized like yes, this is these are not false signals coming from my conscience. This yeah. is
2: what I really have to do. Do you have anybody in your life who told you don't do this? You don't want to step into this. Uh,
3: I had one friend who who was remembering some words that I had spoken uh, probably a week prior, where I was saying, you know what. I'm not going to do anything crazy. John McCain is not going to ruin my graduation. There are other things I want to speak about. I'm going to just talk about this stuff and that'll be the best way to deal with it. But I think I realized once, excuse me, once I saw um just how deep the disappointment was and anger was among my fellow students and faculty members mm-hmm. that this really was a big thing and that I really did need to give voice to those Disappointments, because I was feeling them
2: too. And he, that by, by giving this, by New School asking him to give the speech, he had ruined your graduation, and so you were kind of salvaging it for people who were angered by his presence. Right, there. and
3: that, that's how it really turned out. And yeah. I, you know, at the at the moment, I didn't realize that that was
2: what it would be. Well, I will say that after um, your comments were uh, quoted in the New York Times, be, even before Maureen Dowd put you in her column <laughs> on Sunday, before you were on CNN talking about it, just the first initial article that came out in the New York Times, I'd, I went back and looked because I knew it was a lot, but I didn't know how many of it. But I had seven separate friends of mine contact me either by text messaging me or emailing me saying, "Hey, do you think you can get this girl? <laughs> do you think you can get it? I mean, it really and and nobody that nobody who was contacting me had anything to do with the new school. People were just moved by your doing this in a, as a sign of personal strength and your, your, your the fact that you weren't um you weren't intimidated by his presence. He's a very intimidating presence mm-hmm. I, I know that you had some personal interaction with him at the event. What was that like? um
3: I mean it wasn't very extensive, hmm. but um I did introduce- introduce myself to him um Actually, at the urging of, um, Lori Anderson, who was one of the honored guests there. The Laurie Anderson. Right. Yeah. She's, shoot, for those of you in the radio audience who don't know, she's a performance artist and, um, uh, musician, visual artist. So, um, I, I, was, I was, I was excited to see her and, mm-hmm. and I, I said, you know, I kind of like to introduce myself to the senator. And she said, go on, you know, go do it. So I, I went <laughs> over and, and, um, I just said, hi, Senator McCain. I'm Jean Rowe. I'm the student speaker today. And, um, you know, it's good to meet you. And then actually after the event, while we were still on stage, Bob Carey, the president of the New School, asked me if I wanted to walk off stage with Senator McCain. This is after all of the hubbub of my speech and his speech. Because
2: you got a big standing ovation and people were cheering. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was I mean. pretty
3: wild. <laughs> um, so I walked off stage with Senator McCain and kind of – I took him by the arm sort of as we were walking off stage and I said, man, I'm sorry, I just had to do it because it really was – a huge deal. And I'm, I'm not used to doing, I mean, obviously not used to doing enormous things like that. So (laughs) what did he say? Um, you know, he said, Oh, it's, it's okay. I understand. And that was kind of it. And I didn't see him again. And, Mm. you know, we got back to the green room and people were hugging me and shaking my hand and everything was sort of Nuts. (laughs)
2: nuts. <laughs> yeah, and you were already got weak in the knees at that point, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, since then, um, since, this, since the event, which was on Friday, and again, it was at Madison Square Garden, if you can imagine that, if you uh, uh, want to kind of picture the scene. Uh, since then, a long-time aide to, uh, to Senator McCain, uh, a guy who's actually written a bunch of books with him, um, posted a very long and I dare say catty and nasty little <laughs> Um, comment uh, in response to uh, your blog posting on Huffington Post about your experience. You wrote wrote about your experience. He posted a comment that Huffington Post then highlighted and reposted so everybody could see it. He called you uh, an idiot. He called you self-indulgent. He said you don't have one fraction of the character of John McCain. I um, was very surprised that somebody who is as politically experienced as John McCain, somebody running for president, would have somebody on his staff take such a public cheap shot like that. that. That must have been a surprise.
3: It was very surprising, and actually at first i I was pretty sure that it wasn't Mark Salzer who mm. he said he was because this is you know internet land like you never Could know be who's anybody, writing. yeah, but um I mean it's been several days now, and nobody on the it. McCain staff has come forward to say anything to the contrary, so um I got a call from some of the staff at the Huffington Post saying, Look, this guy did something really nasty, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we're planning on you know, putting it kind of front and center. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like to write a response, you can. So I did. And and I really, when I initially read it, it, it didn't feel very good. I have to say it was a pretty cheap shot. But I read it again and realized, you know, this man didn't really take the time to listen to what I had written to hear my speech for what it was. And, you know, that goes completely contrary to what John McCain was talking about in his speech, because one of the things he said was that we need to argue, we need to argue civilly. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I was trying to do. And then here comes this man with all this name calling. Mm -hmm. So my response was, you know, true to my personality and my values, very civil and, um, you know, and and, uh, I think very well thought out. So hopefully I won't be hearing from him again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What was... Uh, I will say that what was really moving to me and I think what was moving to a lot of people about this story was what you what you've demonstrated even in the aftermath, which is that you were you had your own strong ideas about the Iraq war, about Senator McCain being your commencement speaker, about the other things that you talked about. You engaged his ideas as he expressed them in his own speech. And you did both of those things, and you took the ideas seriously, and you took the argument seriously, and you chose your words really carefully, and you were so strong about it. And the way that you ended your piece, your response to this nasty little thing that Senator McCain's staffer posted online about you, was just, you just said, stop, please don't bully me anymore. Please mm-hmm. stop trying to bully me. And that, to speak from that position of strength, uh, not only to engage with those ideas, but to do it with such poise and self-confidence, I think has really moved a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you. Jean Rowe is my guest. She was a student speaker at the New School Commencement, which was this past Friday. Uh, John McCain was also the uh, commencement speaker there and her words of, uh, speaking truth to him, uh, right in front of his face have moved a lot of people across this country. We've linked to all of the pieces of, uh, of text and argument that we've discussed in this interview at our website, mattoonline.com. Uh, Jean, let me just ask you before you go. I know you're a, a you're a performer. What happens to you next this summer?
3: I'm going to the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland and I'll be singing there. And then I'll be back in New York in the fall um, singing around town.
2: Well, look us up when you get back and uh, we'd love to go to see you perform thing and, and stand every out. day. That
1: scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long. And in the end, Tony with yourself. Remember compliments you received. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters, throw away your old bank statements.
4: The Pamp Attack.
5: A few weeks ago, I was making myself suffer through one of those weekend talking head politico shows where not too well known Republican congressmen appeared on camera with memorized spin points about the Iraqi disaster the $8 trillion deficit disaster, the oil disaster, the FEMA disaster, or whatever the new Republican disaster of the week was. While I was watching those Republican George Bush apologists desperately struggle for words that give the impression that this Republican Congress and the cartoon character they call Commander-in-Chief really are hugely successful world leaders, I had a flashback of sorts. Not the kind of flashback I'd expect Rush Limbaugh to experience from the hallucinating effects of 20 oxycontin a day, this was really more like a recall, a memory that dramatically helps develop and distill a sense of perspective. Because as I was watching these ridiculously lame politicos with a straight face try to justify wiretapping, torture, global warming, and oil industry thuggery, all a part of the new Republican agenda, by the way, as I was watching all that play itself out without a single intelligent question by the timid TV show host, I realized these politicos are simply the same guy. I remember back in college who back then called themselves young college Republicans. Granted, everybody else back then pretty much referred to them as Politico geeks, but they were, after all, young college representatives of the Republican Party. Back then they wore khaki pants, wingtip shoes, white or blue button down collars, wire rim glasses, an occasional bow tie, and the creepy ones. I mean the Karl Rove, Ralph Reed, Jack Abramoff class of creepy. Well, They wore suspenders, usually with a belt. I never understood the suspenders and belt thing, unless it was because these were characters who even back then were so out of touch, so creepy, that most everybody was looking for an opportunity to throw these pudgy little Pillsbury Doughboy lookalikes on the ground and give them a red belly. Maybe the suspenders and the belt combination was a message to all of us that they might put up a fight to protect their baby fat bellies. But all that was different about these talking head politicos that I was watching is that they were 30 years older. The braces were gone, the Oliver North haircut was modified a bit, but I was pretty sure that under those Brooks Brother jackets, they were still wearing suspenders. And Back in those college days, they were easier to recognize, mainly because some of them actually wore big elephant pins that screamed out that they were young college Republicans on a mission. Those oversized elephant pins represented the fact that they were robotic, subservient blind followers even back then, even though the guy that they were following had to resign from the presidency in disgrace for crimes that would have made the U.S. Constitution a meaningless scrap of paper had he not been caught. These guys were called little creeps in those days because they were usually the childlike foot soldiers who did the trench work and even the dirty tricks for Nixon's committee to reelect the president. Remember that one? Well some insightful political observer gave that Nixon committee a short title of simply creep and the title creep followed those young Republicans all over campus for years. I say all over campus because when they didn't have a table set up next to the Harry Krishnas or the Moonies in the middle of campus, they were knocking on your dormitory doors, handing out literature that warned us that the Democrats stood for war trillion dollar deficit spending, a weak dollar, unemployment, pork barrel politics, political corruption, corporate dominated government, decimation of our environment, and damn near everything else that today absolutely Positively defines the spirit of the Republican Party. I remember one day one of those creeps stopped by my apartment. My roommate had the good sense to urge me not to let him in, but I figured I'd listen the same way you might listen to a Scientologist who wants you to join his local cult. After reading from his pamphlet a few minutes, he made the mistake of letting it slip that he was a huge ABBA fan and that I should go to the next ABBA concert. It was pretty much downhill from there as I rushed him to the door, and you know what? I feel good about the fact that I. I knew even then at that young age that I had no common ground with this 20-year politico who revered Richard Nixon, dressed up like Tucker Carlson, and listened to damn Abba albums. Frankly, most of us never took these junior creeps very seriously because we believe they would end up spending their lives as cult followers in places like Ghana or Bangladesh or Utah, for that matter. Back then, their questioning naive loyalty to their Nixon party really was a bit of a hoot to watch and listen to. You could, after all walk away. You could ask them to leave. But I'd like you to spend some Saturday morning watching a few of those political talking head shows, and you'll probably focus on the same sick reality that I did. And that is that these guys hung in there for 30 years. They dressed themselves up a little differently. And today, they're not college campus creeps anymore. They're congressman creeps, and they're senator creeps, and they're TV commentator creeps. And you know what? The best we can do, at least until November, is change the channel
6: the pap attack on air america radio network go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info
1: don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much, or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's.
7: Uh, John McCain, the senator from Arizona, thought that he could come in and give what amounted to a stump speech to the commencing class, the graduating class, and they decided to commence indeed something real by taking their responsibilities as members of this society very seriously. On Friday, May 19th, McCain delivered the commencement speech. Uh, the reception he received was very different from the one he got at Jerry Forwell's Liberty University the week before. His visit to Liberty went with no protest. Students and teachers from the new school, however, protested McCain's participation at their ceremony from the start. And those protests, which included things like standing up and turning their backs on the senator, were punctuated by very, very forthright comments by our next guest, Jean Rowe, student valedictorian who used her opportunity at the microphone to say that although she was young and didn't profess to possess the wisdom that time affords, she knew a few things. And one of them is that preemptive war is dangerous and wrong. Jean joins us now by phone to tell us what brought her to that moment and a little bit of what's happened since. Jean Rowe, thanks for taking some time to be with us here this evening on Radio Nation. Oh, thank you. So tell us, first off, why did you feel you needed to say something? Why? Well,
8: incidentally, I'm not the valedictorian of my class. I was chosen to speak through a petition
7: kind of process. But, oh, all right. I um, heard from people who were there, she was the valedictorian, she was the valedictorian, <laughs> All right, well, you were some version of a valedictorian, you betcha. Right,
8: right. I had the honor of being able to speak, and uh, I, that was determined probably two months prior. And uh, at that time, we had learned that John McCain was coming to speak, and I wasn't too happy about it. I'm certainly not in favor of his political views, and a lot of the faculty and students also were not in support. And at the time, I didn't realize really that I, I needed to Take a stand on, on this particular situation. It really wasn't until Senator McCain came out and said that he was going to be giving the same speech that he gave at Liberty University, that he gave at Columbia University, uh, this very same speech at our school. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I read his speech and discovered that it really was, as you said, much more of a stump speech than a commencement address, I realized that this is definitely something that did not belong at our school. First of all, because the new school's history is one of an anti-war stance. It was formed with that in mind, and also because this was our big day, and here he was poised to give a speech about his life and about his position on the Iraq war.
7: And he which, even began that speech, certainly as he began it at Liberty uh, University, by sort of putting down the optimism and idealism of the young.
8: Right. And and I think that was the first thing that I really took issue with when I read it, because I could see that his the purpose of that section of the speech was to devalue anything that might be said in dissent by any of the students. I guess the expectation was that students, certainly as they were, shouting from their seats, standing up and turning their backs on them, doing these things that, that the students could do from their position of relative powerlessness sitting in the audience, I, I think it would just would have been very easy without my words to be able to just dismiss those acts as childishness. And so I knew in order to defend my fellow students who would be acting out in dissent that I had to say something about Mm. that.
7: Mm. Well, you you did say something and you said it in a very responsible way in that you took a look at his speech and you went through it, chapter and verse. He even called it sort of crib notes um, (laughs) uh, of his speech, but it was effective and he was left having to then get up and give the speech that you had just taken apart.
8: Right. I I was almost hoping that he would be able to alter it in some way just to respond to what I had done, but I guess... I don't know. I mean, it, it made my speech that much more effective that he didn't.
7: Yeah. Well, the students and the, the faculty there, I mean, I think it's important to, to uh, underscore the faculty, too, participated in the protest. Bob Kerry, however, uh, Vietnam veteran like John McCain, maybe they're bonded there, uh, former Democrat from Nebraska. Bob Kerry had pretty dismissive words for those who stood and turned their backs, just suggesting they were uh, lacking in courage. What did he say to you?
8: Well, I mean, he he made a statement to the entire audience that I had performed an act of bravery or something, but I found it pretty offensive that he did, as you said, dismiss the actions of the other students as something lacking courage. Uh, There was a piece in the New York Times that quoted another student who was sitting in the audience at her own commencement who mentioned that had any of the other students been given a chance to speak, as I did, many of them would have done exactly the same thing. And, you know, after the fact, we went back to the green room, and and Bob Carey shook my hand and congratulated me on uh, having delivered a good speech, and I really don't know what he was thinking in his head. I'm sure he recognized that there would be some kind of aftermath that might not be so pleasant for him, I, and I don't really know how that has panned out exactly, but, you know, he he was certainly very cordial with me.
7: Mm. And what about John McCain? Well, actually,
8: right before we walked off the stage for the recessional, Bob Carey came over to me and whispered to me asking if I would like to walk off the stage with John McCain. And I said, sure. And he said something like, oh, it'll, it would be a good thing. So <laughs> as the recessional music started, Bob led me over to where Senator McCain was seated, and I sort of took him by the arm. And uh, as we walked off, I just said, I'm really sorry, but I had to do it. And because it really, it really was
7: so powerful. I love, powerful,
8: it. I I, love I, it. The
7: student, graduating student, is trying to make the senator warmonger feel a little bit better. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs>
8: <laughs> certainly, it it puts a different face on things. You know, I mean, for much of my life, I've definitely had my opinions about informed opinions about uh, politicians and and what they've done, but it's a very different thing to speak directly to one of them and and realize, you know, this person's a human being. This person has his own history. And um, so, you know, as we walked off together, his response was like, oh, it's it's all right, you know, and something kind of like that. And then I really didn't see him again. He was sort of, you know, on to his next thing or whatever
7: yeah well, he maybe has learned something. Who knows? what about you? Have you learned anything? You think you might go into politics after this? <laughs>
8: oh, man, definitely not. This is <laughs> these last couple of days have been so intense for me. I don't really know how I mean, I guess professional politicians have secretaries and researchers to do the kind of work that I've been doing for myself over these past couple of days. but it's it's a lot. I mean, and and really what I do I'm a musician I I got my degree in in jazz vocal performance and I also got my BA in liberal arts focusing in cultural studies so you know, I want to make music and I want to make meaningful music. And I think that I'm, I'm on my way to, to doing something with that that will be fulfilling for me.
7: Mm. Now, we saw the reports. I actually heard from some of the people that were there before I saw the reports. They were excited about what had happened, felt that something very important had taken place. I, as soon as I heard from them, we wanted to get you on the program. Have you received a lot of uh, media calls? I've gotten a few
8: media calls. There's something that's going to be in Esquire magazine in August, and I've gotten various other things from columnists. I, I was asked to put up a blog on the Huffington Post, so um, I did that, and there are a ton of comments there already. I've read... I, I think I've read most of
7: them. But, but wait a minute, Meet in. the Press, Good Morning America. None of those folks have called you. Meet the Press had plenty of room for you. They had a, a debate between two white male Republicans. Right, that's true. Well, <laughs> I see. What I you're think they made maybe had some space for you. And isn't it the kind of conventional mantra out there that young people are apathetic, that people uh, such as yourself aren't paying attention to what's happening in the world? Artists, for heaven's sake, utterly right. <laughs> removed from the world of politics if you uh, listen to the conventional wisdom, and yet here you are, standing up, get covered in the times. I'm surprised you didn't get more calls. Right. I I, I guess
8: to some extent I am too, but at the very same time, you know, I, and I think this has gotten spoken about a lot, at least on the left, that, you know, the state of the media in the United States right now is such that... You know, with Clear Channel operating so many of the news outlets and these days and those sorts of things, it's it doesn't surprise me really that the voices, especially the voices of the young, are sort of being pushed aside and not given the space that we really deserve because I I give a lot of credit to my generation. We are intelligent people, we are uh, concerned people, and really, you know, a lot of the policies of the conservative administration that we are living under right now affect us very deeply. I know, I mean, myself, I'm graduating from school, suddenly I am I have no health insurance, and prospects look pretty grim for what it'll cost me to get health insurance that may not even be the greatest, you know. I. You, I have, think, a few,
7: you have a few debts, I bet.
8: Yeah, certainly. So all of these things combined to make our concerns really valid, and yet our voices, I think, are largely unheard.
7: Yeah, you were the only group, young people were the only group in this most recent uh, tax package from the president who actually saw that taxes not cut, but going up. Right, right. These sorts of things all impact us. Very deeply. Well, Jean, I want to thank you so much for standing up and for being the kind of um, insightful, like insight and insight, like insight people to act, artists that you are. When your uh, first jazz CD comes out, tell us, we'll have you back. <laughs> Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, Jean, Sarah Rowe, thank you so very much. New school graduate, one of two student commencement speakers who uh, spoke up Friday, May 19th, and criticized John McCain using the platform of her graduation and that of her class to give uh, what Jean called a politicking stump speech. Use it every way you
1: can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it, but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly.
9: Brother and sister together we'll make...
6: Okay, now, something that's getting a lot of press is this Jean Rowe girl who did the uh, Yeah, we haven't, we, haven't, we haven't talked about it at all. Uh, you know, everybody's going nuts over it. I just got to say in this last three minutes, uh, I- I'm going to be the jerk here. I, I don't. For those of you who don't know the story, McCain going to the new school, giving a com- com- commencement speech as he did at Liberty University, uh, got a lot of cackles and boos and stuff, and then uh, the speaker before him was the student speaker, Jean Rowe. She came out and she had read his speech uh, before uh, he delivered it because he delivered the same one at Liberty University and for uh, did five points rebutting his speech or whatever, right? It was okay. It was okay. But, like, everybody's going, oh, the courage and she just devastated him i read the speech i'm really glad she did and i i think it did take some courage definitely definitely and i'm and i think it was a great job and stuff but it wasn't like wow devastating it was okay he got got into it mccain uh, mccain's top guy
1: uh Mark Salter got into a fight with her, then
6: sort of a (laughs) a
1: verbal exchange. It was so Ah,
6: very Unlikely any of you will ever possess one small fraction of the character of John McCain. And he called her an idiot and stuff. I kept thinking, like, calm down, man. What she said was so mild. You know, I, God bless her for it. I, no question. Yeah. How's John McCain not in favor of somebody, as he as he pointed out in his speech, that we you should challenge the war. You, mm-hmm. That's what we should do. I, mean, I, I really doubt that Salter was on his own. McCain really does have a temper, man. He had to have okayed that his t- one of his top aides writes back and calls her an idiot. You know, that's a pretty bold thing to do if you haven't cleared it, it with t- McCain. T- yeah, but it's possible that that would happen. It's
1: not. It's possible, right? I don't. I don't think that's out of there because McCain was actually fairly. My, but you know what? I don't know enough about the story. I didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, Bob Kerry today has a post defending uh, uh, his student, uh, Gene Rowe. Jean Rowe was doing the, you know, is uh, first as, of all, he how, should. Could
6: he, how could you even be against Jean Rowe? I mean, I just didn't think it was that big a deal, and that, that's right. why I'm the bad guy. But how do you? How are you again? What you're supposed to be respectful, so you're not supposed to say anything bad about our politicians? Well, and she's what just, country do you live in?
10: And she's just some student, right? I mean, yeah. what threat is she to John McCain? Whereas Aiden has to come out and. Ripper a new one
6: what no but seriously if you believe in America and, I think, and John McCain to his credit was spent five years in a Hanoi pr- uh, pr- uh, prison to, because he believed in America if you can't criticize the politicians who on God's green earth can you criticize of course you can criticize the politicians what you can't do it at a commencement speech I can't think of a better time to do it he's given a political speech you give one that's counter to that So, for the very fact of doing it alone, God bless Gene Ruff.
1: And for the love of God, if you can't sort of uh, 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 have a student protest at a graduation about a war that your country's in, what's the point of being in college? That's what college is all about. Get to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. They're your best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Except certain inalienable truths, prices will rise, politicians will philander, you too will get old, and when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders.
4: From Ithaca College in New York,
1: McAllister College in Minnesota, the University of Miami, the Citadel in South Carolina, the University of California at Berkeley, and Tulane University in New Orleans. These student leaders have one thing in common, they've got plenty of advice.
11: If college has taught us anything, it is that the pursuit of knowledge never ends. It just gets more exciting. And this is where I'd like to take an issue with the real world. What does that even mean? If we weren't in the real world for the past four years, then where were we? I think college has a stigma attached to it that is supposed to be anything but real. But I contend that this is just as real as what awaits you when you leave here today. If the pursuit of knowledge never ends, then isn't this so-called real world just an extension of college? If you have ever sat in one of those random 100-level classes in the basement of Dillingham and asked yourself, What am I doing here? The answer is simple knowledge. You were there for knowledge. And it is my sincere hope, and I'm sure the hope of all of your professors, especially the ones that taught those 100 level classes, that you take what you have learned and apply it sincerely to the rest of your life. And certainly don't stop. The only
3: way to learn to fly is first to take a fall. We fall when, despite our most fervent efforts, people won't or can't accept our ideas, when a project falls short of expectations, when we feel that we have made mistakes and let ourselves or others down. Falling
4: is disappointing, embarrassing, and painful. But Macalester students aren't timid about taking falls, and they're not afraid of flying either. We have heard the musings of Maya Angelou, the humor of Ben Stein, the howls of Katrina, Wilma, and Rita, and the musical stylings of Patio Jam Thursdays. We have enjoyed wintry South Florida afternoons at the pool, the sweet taste of victory over Virginia Tech. (laughs) We have witnessed history during the presidential debates, the power of voter mobilization on Election Day 2004, and the promise of forward and upward movement at a university that for many of us has been home these past four years. Tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow, we will be asked to forego our lives as students in favor of being adults. We will be asked to save the world, both figuratively and literally, and we will because we can. Our prospects as civil servants, career professionals, and all-around newsmakers are limitless, and I urge each of you to find your passion and live it. Like Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for everything. This is your time to live your dream. We have have learned to be accountable
12: for ourselves and and others. Through Daily formations, mandatory events, and inspections, we are always faced with the task of being accountable, not only for our actions, but of the actions of others as well. We have been trained to have no excuses for our mistakes and promptly fix our errors. When it comes down to it, when a cadet messes up and gets punished, he knows he deserved it accountability was one of the most important lessons in leadership the citadel has taught us leadership is a daily part of life at the citadel we live and breathe leadership we as a class have never been scared to take command we're not intimidated by the challenge of taking control of a difficult situation we're excited by it and if a situation was ever too much for one of us to handle we knew we could rely on each other to help us through it our experiences in leadership have brought us closer and taught us how to work together as a team in pursuit of a common goal. While the leadership opportunities and lessons in accountability are some of the most important things we have learned here at the Citadel, the most important thing we have is our honor. Our honor is what it's binds It's the duty
10: us. of those of us who have been blessed with life to go on Citadel, living, but, but not just to live quietly. It is our duty to live loudly and fiercely, to graduate from a great university such as ours, and fail to gain compassion for your fellow man would be a great failure indeed. Getting an education is about gaining the tools we need to succeed in life. The greatest tool that I've gained from my time here is perspective, the desire to learn from people different from myself and to attempt to see the world through their eyes. The greatest lesson I've learned is that in this democracy, apathy is not a choice. To remain silent in the face of the atrocities being committed in the name of this country, in all of our names, is to condone those acts. Indifference kills more people than bombs do. If you don't believe me, ask the people of Rwanda. Our time at Berkeley has given us the knowledge we need to change the world, not through violence, but intelligently, peacefully. When confronted by adversity, we have two options. We can choose to react out of ignorance, fear, and hate. Or we can choose the path of understanding and compassion. I ask all of you at a cafe on our way out of town the the night
13: before Katrina hit.
10: I had a waitress
13: ask me very solemnly if I understood how significantly the storm could impact my education. At the time, I laughed. I had been through, what, four storms during my five years at Tulane, and none of them had ever impacted my education before. But now that I'm here, nine months after that cafe, five years after those recruiting brochures, I can honestly say that it was not the effects of the storm that have had the most significant impact on my education. It has been the culture, the spirit, and the strength of the city and the institution that endured it that have had the most impact on the things I've learned. And on our graduation day, it is important to note that even though the past year has changed all of our lives, it has not changed them nearly as much as having made the decision to attend Tulane. I am proud to say that my education was earned, experienced, and enriched only at two Tulane, only in New Orleans. Maybe
1: you have a trust fund, maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. But you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it, a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me on the sunscreen.
0: know it yet, but you're about to start getting depressed again. The thing is, even though you just listened to a show that probably invoked feelings of inspiration and encouragement and promise for the future... You probably got a little tingly, maybe some goosebumps, maybe some butterflies in the stomach, maybe even a little misty eyed at times. But the thing is, at least over the last five years, if not more, you have developed a defense mechanism. And that is to. Although you can't help being hopeful for the future, you always prepare to be disappointed. Because over the last five years, we have felt nothing but disappointment. So, although you don't know it yet, in a few minutes, you're going to be thinking about this show and you're going to think that all of the things that were said by all of those amazing speakers at all of those colleges, as inspiring as they were, you realize that people have, given, have been giving speeches like that for decades, and yet we still live in the world we live in now under the government that we live in now. And so if 40 years ago people were giving speeches like this, then how did we end up with the government we have now? And so you're going to think that maybe the idealistic views of youth really do get crushed. As the years go on, and as people grow up, and the system smashes their spirit, and maybe they go on to lead personally fulfilling lives, but the system as a whole isn't equipped to handle the kind of reform that those people should be capable of bringing forward. So I'm just helping you out a little bit because that's what you were about to start thinking, you know. And so I wanted to take this moment to help you through that because I think that things are a little bit different now. I am 23 years old right now. I'll make the math easy for you. I was 17 and a half on the day that George W. Bush was anointed president the first time. I wasn't able to vote against him. And, you know, I was pretty irritated about that. I was 18 years old on 9-11. I was 21 years old when Bush stole the second election.
14: And so think
0: about that. People my age went through all of those experiences just as they were entering and continuing through college. Last year, when I was 22, was the first year that the first wave of people like me, the very first year of Generation Y, graduated from college. And I think that there is every reason in the world to believe that Generation Y is going to come forward and with overwhelming force and determination take back this country. The way that we have been forced into the adult world so abruptly by such terrible events and leadership, we can't help but be aware of what's going on. And as the old adage goes about the pendulum swinging, I think that we are in store for the biggest Ideological swing in the political system that this country has ever seen. If you think that I would have had the, I don't know what I would actually call it, um, mostly just will and determination. If you think that I would have had the determination to produce this show under a Kerry administration, you're crazy, um, I would go to sleep easier every night and not really think twice about what was going on, uh, that, no, that's not right, it's, it's not to say that I wouldn't be paying attention, but it would be so much easier to not feel like I needed to be involved And I just can't even imagine that there aren't thousands and thousands of people just like me doing things just like what I'm doing. And so that is what I think about when I need to be encouraged about the future. I fully intend to be involved with this process for the rest of my life, because there's nothing else that I even, I I, I mean, I don't even care about anything else, because nothing else matters when the world is absolutely going to hell.
14: So take heart. I
0: think that the cavalry might actually be on its way.